Glossé diaper. Yeah, yeah. Glossé <laughs> diaper. I, I just, I'm, I'm a fan of just ripping my pants. I just go straight pants rip. <laughs> Come out of it bare bottomed. Yeah, well, see, there's no one around, right? Yeah. So who's going to complain? That's Chris, true. your heart, your ass is hanging out. Yeah, said no one because there's no one there. <laughs> Dennis Mahato, amateur radio call sign AD60M, and this is the Hamden Thoughts Podcast. This is a podcast about amateur radio, prepping, software, and tinkering. Today we are meeting with Chris, ZL4RA, also known as Radio Runner on YouTube. Chris has some pretty intense summits on the air videos and frequently crashes various YouTube live streams. Let's get to know more about this New Zealander. Stay tuned. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. What's going on? Oh, nothing much over here. It's the afternoon for me, and I think over there it's just after 11. Is that right? In the morning? Roger that. You've got your time zones on lock. Yes. It's a risk you would have. But uh, thanks for being on the show. I think you're my third international guest. Now you're on the other hemisphere. Or is that right? The Southern mm-hmm. Hemisphere. The Southern, that's it. So right now you're all jacketed up. It's nice and cold down there. While over here it's 100 degrees Fahrenheit outside. I'm trying to stay cool. Very unusual. This is a kind of funny time of year because I used to be, I used to be an avid skier. I would love to ski, but uh, I don't ski so much anymore. I do a lot more winter hiking and bits and pieces. And so mm-hmm. now I don't want snow. I don't want snow. Snow makes my life a little bit difficult, depending on this, on where you're going. But by and large, you know, it's a lot harder to get picked up in avalanches if there's no snow. So I'm a big fan of less snow as opposed yes. to more. My wife's the opposite. She wants to go for She wants to ski. She wants to go shred. And so she wants the snow. I don't want the snow. It's an interesting home dynamic. Nice. Well, I haven't been in snow enough to hate it yet. Right, right. <laughs> oh, geez, it could be... It can be really good and really bad. If ever I could call a YouTuber extreme, ham YouTuber at that, uh, you would come to mind. Your videos are, uh, how could I describe them? The, the, it, there's an aspect to them that, that just seems like it's so strenuous in what you do. <laughs> and I've seen you do climbs, uh, you've like legit mountain climbs, um, mm-hmm. you've used ice axes. If I remember right, crampons, mm-hmm. all the gear that for, mm-hmm. for like ice climbing even. And uh, you really have some great videos involving harsh conditions and mountaineering. And uh, we were talking before this, you said that this is kind of a byproduct of just what you do. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about how you got started with all this? 
Yeah, for sure. And yeah, that, that's, that's totally it. It's not, I, I really like YouTube and the, the community is fantastic. And the people that you meet are awesome, super positive. You can have a really positive impact on, on other people, which is fantastic, but it's not a, um, yeah, like exactly like, like, like we just said, right. It's kind of a byproduct of the things that I normally do. So I've got little kids and it's, it's not safe to take little kids, uh, a lot of, a lot of fun places, but, um, yeah, I kind of want, I kind of wanted to just show them what the outside looked like, you know, like what kind of like what, not just outside, but, you know, like semi extreme remote locations look like and the kinds of things that you can do. Uh, I figure that's really good exposure for them. They can see it. It can be a, not super normalized, but they can kind of, you know, they can look at it and it can kind of be aspirational for my kids. They can be like, Hey, cool. Look at what dad did while he was away or overnight or whatever it was. So I originally put it together just, just for that. And also just having like, it's really nice having a record of the things that you do. It's the reason that people take photos of the trips. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to, I'm going to shoot some videos. I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, I still don't know what I'm doing, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was the, that was kind of the impetus behind, behind starting it. Yeah. And in terms of the, in terms of the extreme thing, I mean, there are a lot of folks like men and women out there that are a whole lot more ext- extreme than I am. Right. It's uh, I'm just in a, I'm in a different goldfish bowl as it were, but um, I've always kind of been interested in a little bit of suffering. I know that sounds really weird. That makes me sound like, like I'm psychotic. Uh, I mean, maybe I am, but I, I try, I try and tell myself that I'm, that I'm not. Yeah. So I've been, the suffering thing is as an adult, I just kind of, have gravitated towards things that aren't easy to do and that maybe aren't so pleasant to do. I do a lot of uh, martial arts. I run a karate club. I've been doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu for quite a while. Um, Kobudo, a lot of that kind of stuff, uh, like running, hiking, cycling really long distances, all that kind of stuff. I just find that really interesting. I find it a, just a beautiful contrast to normal everyday life. You know, it's just the normal, mm-hmm. just the, the grind of life. Uh, the grind of having a family, just just being alive and being human. It's a beautiful contrast to have that. And then to be able to go away and just do something that's so, so different. Um, and the sort of the, the pain and, and all that sort of stuff. I, it's not it's not fun. I wouldn't call it fun, but it's different. You know, it's it's very different. It's a personal challenge. It's 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 selfish, right? Because it's all about you. You're like, okay, how far can I go? Mm-hmm. How far can I push this? You've got to be safe, you know, within your the, the limits, your sort of framework of of safety, and you always need to make sure you come home and all that sort of jazz. But um, yeah, I don't know. There's just there's just something in me that finds it interesting. Mm-hmm. It's like this cave, and I haven't been in there, and I'm curious what's in there. Yeah, yeah. As as uh, K6ARK Adam says, it doesn't have to be fun to be fun. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. There's the three types of fun. Um, and yeah, I, I'm certainly not in the type one fun, which is like normal fun. You know, like what a yeah. sane human being would consider fun. That's your type one. Um, and then, yeah, type two is it's fun after you've done it. And then type three is it sucked the whole time. And it sucks. Like it, I did a, like I did that a year ago and it still sucks. You mm-hmm. know, like there's very little gratification that came that came from it. I try not to do that too much because that, that does strike me as, as psychotic. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I've always been into it. Always yeah, been into but I, I noticed this commonality with people who train in something, you know, be it martial arts or, or running. I used to be a long distance runner until I got some injuries that kind of prevent that now, but mm-hmm. it, it kind of frames life in a little bit. You know, you just, you think of, I, I gotta, I gotta just get better at this and I gotta see where I can take it, how far I can take it see what my personal best can be 
mm-hmm. and uh, get de- a great deal of gratification from that. And it's it's like it's not even during the whole training period, and even when you do hit your personal best, there's there's no joy there in terms of like the actual doing of it. But it's that that sense and that experience afterwards, and you're like, yes, okay, I pushed myself farther further than I thought I could go, and here I am. It's pretty awesome. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very admirable. Yeah, that's that's totally it, man. That's totally it. And even, I mean, the the weird thing about it is that when you do something that you haven't done, before, this is how I this is this is for me. Okay, this isn't for everybody else, but just just for me, the weird thing about it is that once I've done a thing, like um, we did a really big uh, we did a really big uh, soda day, summits on the air day a few weeks ago, and we did a ton of miles. We it just ticked over into ultra marathon distance, and we did a, a ton of vert. And that was really interesting. And I'd never done anything like that before. And it was fun and it was cool. And I was done with it. And I was, I didn't even, I was just like, it wasn't that good. If you know what I mean? It wasn't like mm-hmm. amazing, rapturous. Like I wasn't just, oh, Chris, you're amazing. You're mm-hmm. the best. It was like, huh, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Clearly I could have done a bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the mental process. And I think that's really common as well to people that get out and get amongst it and try and do big things is that just the lack of, the lack of satisfaction in anything. Yeah. which is really bad as well. Like there were two sides to that. Yeah. Coin. It could be very bad quickly with that on that side. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That's it. So you're always trying to, trying to temper that in a, in a reasonable way. But um, yeah, I think that's kind of the underlying, certainly for people that like to move their bodies long distance. Mm-hmm. That's, that's certainly, you know, it's, it's, it's in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, your background, what you uh, do, what interests you and how you got, into ham radio uh sure so i'm a um i'm a software engineer and have been for a long time um i like that so engineered engineered. yeah it's solid (laughs) i like it as well yeah i i mean i i make a living solving problems using code and it could be anything it could be it could be anything we've done so many different things but what does that mean that i do for all of my days it means i sit on my butt Mm-hmm. I sit on my butt and I stare at a screen uh, for a long, long time, and I pound away at a keyboard. And uh, yeah, I'm just—I mean, I, I really enjoy it. I do. I do really. I really, really enjoy what I do. But there's a toll. There's a physical toll to doing yeah. that yeah. forever, right? You've, you just—you're in this compromised position all the time. So yeah, I kind of a lot of my hobbies swung away. They're like, okay, what can I do that's not this? Because as a kid, I played a lot of video games. Um, and as a young adult, tons and tons. And then I was like, I'm in the same, I'm in the same physical pattern all the time. So I, that's, so that was kind of the driver for, for getting outside and getting more physical. But my, one of the problems with me is I've got, I have too many hobbies. I've got so many hobbies. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and ham radio was the worst thing to pick up because ham radio is a name for a million other hobbies. It's like (laughs) this, you know, it's like this, oh, it's terrible. You think, yeah. oh, okay, I'll just add one more. It'll just be ham radio. But no, ham radio is 60,000 other things, Chris. <laughs> you idiot. But, you know, I was like the, big into the martial arts, karate, jiu-jitsu, kobudo, which is like weapon, like um, Ninja Turtles, like mm-hmm. the the, the uh, Okinawan traditional weapons. I used to play heaps of music, lots of violin and guitar, fishing, wargaming, D&D, hiking, mountaineering, cycling, running, climbing, carpentry, basketball radio you know whatever all that sort of stuff wow um i get injured quite a bit so i tried i try to have a a a, a selection because i hate 
you know, you know, when you've got one thing, you know, my name is Chris and I have one thing and I'm really big into this one thing, especially if it's something that has a, well, of course it'll, it'll have some sort of physical element to it. And if you get injured and you lose that thing, it's devastating. Yeah. It's so psychologically taxing. It's just, it's crushing that you've lost your one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I have a habit of over-focusing, just getting really, really deep into this one thing. And then when I lose it through injury or, or whatever it is, it's really crushing. And I, I hate that feeling of just having the thing lost. So I tried to make my hobbies. If you look at the Venn diagram of my hobbies, I tried to have the circles as far away as possible mm-hmm. so that when something goes wrong, like let's say uh, I'm in the garage and I'm, I'm exercising and I do something in my rota- rotator cuff or maybe my elbow or something, if that's an upper body thing. What can I still do? Well, I can still run because I can still use my legs you know, or I can still, I can still squat or I can still do whatever it is just, or maybe it's, and then there's the hobbies that aren't physical. So I can go to them as a backup as well. So I've always got something, you know, I don't have my identity, who I am, like wrapped into this one thing really, really tightly because that makes me really weak. It makes me like psychologically and kind of spiritually weak because if I lose it, I lose me. That was a really long little, uh, that was a really long little metaphysical. Uh, <laughs> no, it makes perfect it sense. I was with you all the way there. Yeah, I get it's it. A, oh, it devastates me, man. Because I, I want to be, I want to be, I don't want to suck at anything. I want to be pretty good at the things that I do. I don't have to be the best of the best, but I want to be pretty good. And so, yeah, getting it cut out underneath you because like the running thing, right? So we're, we're talking about uh, injuries, right? So it's, it's knees and it's ankles, it's Achilles, it's hips, it's back. It's any one of those things goes sideways and running is really hard. You know, so yeah, you know, you, you imagine putting years and years of your life into this thing that you love and then through no fault of your own, it's just kind of gone now, you know, that's just how the universe works. So I tried to safeguard myself against that. And so now I have a massive list of hobbies I can't maintain. Mm-hmm. And so you added 60,000 hobbies in the form of ham radio. Uh, when, when did you get licensed? I am a baby. I'm a ham radio babe uh, in the baby sense. When did they get licensed? I got licensed three years ago. Okay. Yeah. So I th- I've done, I've done quite a bit in those three years, but my, f- yeah, I was sort of, I, I always knew it was there because my parents were both hams. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. They were both, they were both, and yeah, they, they both, you know, they, they both got their ticket and I sort of, I was interested in it as a, a young teen until I realized I had to learn morse <laughs> and then i was like this is this is dumb i don't want to have to do this why would i why would a teenager want to do that right the uh, you'd have to be a very specific kind of young adult to find that attractive mm-hmm. there certainly are people to that, that, that are interested in it but they're the minority for sure so i was interested then i realized i needed cw and i was like no that is not for me and i left it there and then yeah it took me to become a mid uh, early early 30 year old to realize that hey this thing sounds really interesting and i so i said to myself hey i'm gonna go get my license because I, i'm really interested in increasing p- your personal competency like mm-hmm. in in real ways mm-hmm. so i've I've, i spent and i kind of go through phases so i'll be like hey you know what i'm gonna spend the next two months learning how to start a fire with nothing with with no gear with nothing just just with just with sticks and stones and playing or, and play around with that Anything that increases my kind of physical competency as a as a as like a primitive human being, that's a weird way to say it, but I'm not so interested in like upskilling 
with my tech, with tech, right? Because I'm kind of that's my job. It's what it's what I do. But I'm but I but I'm not a laborer, right? I'm not. I don't work outside. I don't do physical stuff for money. So I find that really interesting. And so I'm, I'm I kind of think look at myself and say, okay, cool. How confident are you? If you're if you're in the in the in the bush and you were left alone and there was no infrastructure, what could you do? How long would you survive? Can you look after yourself? And I find that really that just the even if I like the chances of a zombie apocalypse, let's be real. I'm not I don't see any zombies coming anytime soon, but I really like the thought experiment of it. Would like it doesn't have to be zombies. It could it could have been it could have been COVID, you know, who knows? But like what would happen? Are you a competent enough human being to look after yourself in the real world? Yeah. What are you going to do? So oh, I find those skills really attractive. And so radio was an obvious one. You know, I, you know, you, you've got once you've once you've got you know your sort of survival skills, your firearms license, but a mountaineering knowledge, that kind of jazz. Or radio made perfect sense. So I went and got it. I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I knew it was going to make my dad happy. So I was like, okay, cool. Worst case, I had my <laughs> ticket and I, and I play around. I sort of noodle around for a while, and my dad will be happy. And I was yeah. like, cool. That's good enough for me. So I went and did it. And then I got it, and then yeah, it was a it was like a, a aha moment. I was like, oh no, oh wow, this is really interesting, and there's so much here, and I can pick the things that I want to do, and I can leave the stuff that I'm not interested in for never, or maybe I'll want to do it in 20 years because it's a you know like it's a it's definitely a life sentence. This thing, you know, like you just yeah. you can do stuff forever, yes. forever, forever. So <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's how I that's how I started. There's there's just so much to do. There's so much to do. I do a lot of Morse code, a lot of CW now. That is driven by the lack of power and the portable operating. If I wasn't doing that, I don't think I would have. I definitely wouldn't. I wouldn't have learned uh, CW. I operate around 20 words a minute, which is pretty standard. Uh, is there still yeah. a, a CW requirement for getting your license in New Zealand? No, there's not. No? Okay. So it just turned, no, you, no, away, no turned you away in the early years, but then they dropped it. Yeah, and yeah exactly. And, they, and they'd, they'd actually dropped it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Before I before I I decided to pick it up back up again, but it was sort of a I had no reason to revisit and check. Oh, hey, is that sort of thing? You know, I was just like, oh, I remember that. I tried it and I had to do a funny diddy diddy da da thing. So I was like, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I never I never saw the reason a reason to. Yeah, go it back. seems to be the path a lot are taking where they the the requirement got dropped and then they realized, hey, I really want to learn that. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. I don't. I mean. It's a contentious issue, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> there are people that feel very strongly on, on both sides. Yeah. I mean, I don't think ham radio is dying at all. I mean, I haven't talked that all the Almas that I have talked to, they've been doing this for a long, long time, tell me that ham radio has been dying forever. It's been dying forever, every all the time, constantly dying. And yet, you know, we're, we're getting more operators and we're doing more things and there are sweet new things afoot people are making new stuff all the time there are these rad digital modes things are happening like youtube's going crazy you know like i I think it's you know you can pretty much categorically put that one to rest you know it's not it's not dying so yeah it's i don't think it i don't think it really hurt the hobby taking that away i think it was far more inclusive can you be too inclusive well yeah probably but uh no i like i said i mean you could (laughs) i'm sure some of the um folks in uh, zl3 yeah if you ask them they might have a different opinion but uh i certainly wouldn't i wouldn't have a youtube channel i wouldn't be here i wouldn't be on the radio if it was a morse code requirement that is for sure maybe that'd be for the better uh sorry jeff and mark but um you know just is what it is and then you turn out to be good at cw yeah wow man that's a really interesting one i, I don't 
because I, my perspective with CW is I sort of, I, I don't want, everyone's different. Everyone's different, right? So, um, and I'm not saying I'm better at it than anybody else or worse at it or whatever. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a point of reference, but I f- didn't find it that hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, honestly, that's probably just luck, right? I mean, I had a, I had a really strong musical background and I, and probably more importantly, I really wanted to learn it. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to learn it because it was so applicable to me, like right here and now, because I was doing portable work, QRP. I love QRP. And, and, I'm, and I, I barely operate at home at all, right? So I needed it. I'm in the middle of nowhere and I wanted to make contacts. Well, mm-hmm. for, and, and, I, and, I've, and I've had my license. All, all that I know is solar minimum. I don't know any better, mm-hmm. right? As far as I'm aware, solar minimum is totally normal. So yeah, SSB was hard. SSB yeah. was hard. You can get it done, but it's just harder and mm-hmm. you don't get the fun contacts, right? Yeah. You don't get the, it's hard and so much harder to get good DX. So I had a really, really strong burning desire to just crush CW and get confident as fast as possible mm-hmm. other than sort of having it as a, like one of six goals, if you know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah. oh, you know, yeah. I would really like to do that. I would, you know, but for me, it wasn't, I'd really like to do that. For me, it was, I need to do this. If I want to, if I want to keep doing the portable QIP thing, which I loved to do, so I, I had to do it. Yeah. So start to finish, how long do you think it took you to get good at CW? Uh, I, I wouldn't. I, I'd remove the word "good" from the conversation there. I would replace it with um, perhaps "possible" or, or "competent," uh, middle, middling to okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I don't think any CW operator really thinks they're they're that good, um, or at least the majority of them. I think it took me about. I was pretty comfortable on the air in about 90 days, something like maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe two to three months. Mm-hmm. And I was operating at about, geez, was it, I don't even remember. I think it was 16. I think I was working at about 15, 16 words per minute. And then after about six months, I was operating on, uh, at, at 20 mm-hmm. and then that was it. So yeah, the, but it was, it was a lot of hours, right? It was a lot of hours up front and then the practice from there just became operating you know because i was out you know once or twice a week um you know when, when i had time but uh, pre- but i was but I, I became pretty much exclusively a cw operator at that point i wasn't doing a whole lot of ssb for a while while i was learning um pretty much everything that i was doing when i was on the summit or, or just in the park or wherever i was was cw so if if i didn't make it work I wasn't getting contacts. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like I was like, oh, it's okay, Chris, just plug in the mic and say, hey, to Jim. Like, no, no, no. It was like, it was, there was a lot yeah. of them were just C-dubs only. It was critical. Yeah, exactly. It was a it was mission critical that I had this skill and I could use it in the field. And if I couldn't, well, I was going to go home sad, cold, and lonely <laughs> and disappointed in myself. Okay. Well, as you know, a lot of our listeners here with Hamden Thoughts are in the U.S., so... I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about the New Zealand ham radio licensing process because for a lot of us, we don't even know what it takes to become a ham in other countries. Yeah, for sure. So in New Zealand, we use a, there's only one test. There's one exam. Uh, it's kind of an all-encompassing thing. There's lots of different topics. Some of the questions are the regulatory stuff. Um, some of them are how are transceiver works, you know, the parts of a transceiver and block diagrams and stuff. There's, you know, so there's, there's a, there's a wider array of questions. Some of them are pretty technical. Some of them are, like I said, just le- like, um, legislation type stuff or, or knowing mm-hmm. the band plan, mm-hmm. knowing the rules we have a, it's 60 questions. 
60 multi choice questions from a really big public uh, bank of questions. It's really cheap. There's no annual cost to keep it renewed. Um, your call sign is yours for life. Yeah, there's a there's the our version of the ARRL. I said that really fast. ARRL. Mm-hmm. Um, there's our version of that. It's the NZART. So that's our um, body. You pay money to be. You don't have to, but 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 you should. Um, you pay money to them, and they're sort of our they're our administrative body. They look after they look after us, right? So they're they're um, looking after a band for us. You know, they're acquiring sections of the band, um, dealing with radio spectrum management, all that sort of jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, which is exact, the exact kind of stuff the ARRL does, you know, and it's kind of one of those things where, like, I don't think anybody loves an organization 100% of the time, but where, where ham radio is involved, there aren't that many people that are willing to put their hands up in the name of ham radio operators, you know, so in my opinion, you know, I, I just think it's totally worth chucking them the money because that no one else is going to, yeah, like I said, no one else is going to put their hand up for you. Maybe they do things you don't like sometimes. And honestly, that's just the nature of organizations and people. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that was another tangent. Tangent number two: sign up for your local theme. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's a it's a multi choice thing. It takes an I, doesn't, I don't remember how I know how, how long it took me. It didn't take me super super long, but it's 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 pretty involved. There's a bunch of manuals that you read mm-hmm. um, that, they, that they provide, which has all the all the course material in it. Uh, yeah, and you get it done. It's um, so it's, it's you say it's one test and. One sixty questions from a big pool, so there's yep. one license level. Correct. So once you've got it, once you've got it, you are a fully licensed um, amateur. That is cool. The only thing you have to do subsequent to that is you've got to collect a bunch of contacts on VHF. I think mm-hmm. it's fifty. And then once you've done that, and a certain amount of time has passed, it's either three months or six months, then you get full band privileges. I but see. there's no there's no um, there's no separation for um, you know, this kind of, you know, there's no gen, the generals get this and the techs get that. Mm-hmm. No, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just you get access to everything. Yeah. And so it's re- it's very simple. Is it pretty similar in terms of the band plan to like the U S and other countries? It is quite similar. There are some differences. I'm not an expert in the U S band plan, but I know that people have problems in the U S I think, I think if they're a general, they can't drop down low enough on seven megs. There's like a, they, they, they don't have access to the bottom of it around mm-hmm. sort of the, yeah. the seven, seven, 7.09, which is yeah. a really common yeah. SSB calling frequency for portable. I don't think they have access to that, whereas we can go right down um, to the bottom of that. So yeah, there are, so there, it's not perfect. The overlaps aren't great, but uh, I think if you're an extra, you can get down there. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So guys, get your extra, get your, get your extra <laughs> ticket. Yeah. Generals are, are pretty limited on 40 as well okay. as 20. I think uh, on 40, they can only, I'm looking at my band plan right now because I don't even have this memorized, but 7.175 is the lower end of 40 for phone. Yeah, right. And then they have a portion for CW and data. And then on 20, it's uh, looks like it's 14.225 is the lowest they can go on 20. Really? Yeah. Wow, okay. So they're really limited. So yeah, right. getting your sense. extra, I mean, that was my motivation. It took me uh, all of like one month between getting my general and extra because I knew that I wanted to, I, I would always hear the activity in those areas that I couldn't go. So, and the DX. Yeah. I'm sure there's tons of that's where the DX is, right? So I said, I got to get my extra so I can even talk to these folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's, and I think like 
you kind of go into, at least I do, I kind of go into study mode, yeah. you know? So I'm like, oh, I've yeah. learned all the stuff. I've learned all the stuff. Learn, learn, learn. I think that's probably, at least for me, that would be the, that's the time to do it, right? Just, just knock it out in one big fell swoop rather than doing one, going back and doing the other in three. It's, it, I imagine that's more onerous, right? You got to go back in, you got to relearn the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Taking a long time between tests, you, you forget so much. So yeah, I was like that. I just, in fact, when I did take my general, they asked me, I didn't even know that I could take another test for the extra. But they just asked me that. They just, uh, would you like to tr give uh, the extra shot? And I was like, well, why not? And I totally failed miserably. I, I got like right. less than half, I think. Correct. Yeah, but it, it lit a fire for me. And I was just like, I got to get this. I, and so I just was heads down for a month and got my next available test and was able to pass. So Yeah, right. That's awesome. I think that's really yeah. cool that they do that, right? You can just, and that's that's the same. For, is that if you pass your tech, is it the same? They'll just let you yeah, have a crack at your think, journal? Uh, have a I think there are extra? people who have taken, they went in to take their tech, they come out as an extra. Yeah. That's amazing. I think that's super cool. Yeah. No, I'm glad that, they, that, that's, that that's an option. They make it as easy as possible because that's, you know, as long as we're getting, you know, I mean, you got, I think you have to remember that no one that is not a ham gets their extra. They sit, let's say they do, they're, they're, they do heaps of study, they kick butt, they run through the process, they pop out the other end as an extra. They're an extra now, but they're not a good ham radio operator. They're not. They're just someone that has an extra. So, so, like, I don't think, I don't think we make good operators by legislating it and giving them tickets and, and special badges, right? Hey, yeah. you've got the gold star. Congratulations, right? Yeah. You, you make good operators by getting them on the air, armoring them, giving them guidance, and just having a positive environment. And then we end up with good operators, right? I don't think it's, which is again back to the CW cutaway, oh no, everything's doomed. That's the primary reason I don't think that's so true is that, I mean, I didn't know it. I didn't know a damn thing when I was, when I got my ticket. I was just like, um, wh what? Hello? <laughs> Hello? Is this on? You know, that literally, that was me. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and now I've, you know, now I've done tons of portable operating. You know, and I'm, and I'm probably, you know, I'm a terrible operator, but I'm way better than I was. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> kind of makes me think about like uh, people who come out of school. So I would, I would liken having a good Elmer as like being in a, a good internship. So you come mm -hmm. out with these skills in advance of, of graduating. And then the graduation process is the ticketing process. And then after that, it's just the experience you have actually performing in your career and totally for a ham it's being a good operator is what you learn after that test yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent and nobody nobody gets your ticket and they suddenly know which antennas you will use a nine to one transform with yeah what are you going to use a 49 to one with what are you going to use when are you going to use a 64 to one with you've got no what are you going to use a one to one <laughs> no one knows and because they have no practical experience building those antennas yeah. you know so yeah, and it's like when you get your first job, yeah. you learn more in that in the first six months than you did in your you know all your tertiary education because you're actually doing the thing. Yeah, you're getting it done. You're learning actual practical skills that matter in your field of choice. Same thing. Yeah. So you have a YouTube channel called Radio Runner, and that's how yes, I sir. pretty much saw you online, always uh, jumping into the live chats. It's like who's this Radio Runner guy with the snarky comments mm -hmm. and. Uh, mm -hmm. And then you would be on the streams as well. And I would see you joining in the, the clubhouse and in uh, coffee and ham radios, was it? Or mm -hmm. I think you joined that. I've been, yeah, a, but a bit, I've been, I've made a menace of myself in many things. Yes. And 
I'm like, what time is it for him right now? Isn't he in on the other side of the world? But you'd always, you'd always <laughs> show up and uh, a great personality to be on there. I wanted to pay, play a small clip of one of your uh, videos that you released in uh, late July. Sure. It's called not the best ham radio idea I ever had. Oh no. <laughs> What's up guys. Welcome back to the channel. My name is Chris today. We're trying to do 12 summits in one day. The heights range from between 750-ish vertical meters of climbing to 100, 200 vertical meters of climbing. It's the middle of winter. Squalls have blown past and I'm wrecked. <laughs> Current time, 4.30. We're going to recheck this gear and then we're going to wait for our ride. So here we have you getting ready to... Uh, I, I do admit, this sounds like a really crazy idea. 12 soda summits. Uh, you call it an ultra marathon day. That's mm -hmm. yeah. It technically was an ultra marathon. <laughs> but uh, this is this this is the kind of video that I'm talking about. Where I I watch some of your videos and I'm like, this guy is just he's intense. He he really pushes it for these soda hikes and and even climbs. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your channel and what you have planned for it? Yeah, sure. So it's um. The, yeah, the first thing I'll say is I, I get a lot of messages and comments that uh, give me a hard time because I never sound tired in my in my videos <laughs> when I'm running. That one. Hey, I've even was, said that too. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> what is up with these guys? They never they never seem tired. I'd be dead at the the base of this uh, climb. <laughs> yeah, so that I mean that day was that was ten thousand vertical meters of climbing, and I don't know how many miles, but enough miles to be technically classed as an ultra marathon. But the and I sound really tired in that, which I think is good. It's good, but the I think there are so many. There are there are in fact so many YouTubers out there that, that do an awesome job of the stuff that you would expect to see if you went on YouTube and typed in ham radio. You know they do gear reviews. It's awesome. They review on radios. They're talking about the technical elements of ham radio, which is the stuff that we all love. It does super super well. Everyone is interested in the latest transceivers, the latest base, you know, the base stations, all this stuff, the best antennas, you know, everybody loves all that stuff. So that does really, really well. And I think we've got a lot and it probably enough um, going on there, which is cool. But I, so I was like, well, I don't really, I'm not that interested in reviewing my Icom 7300, right? I'm not that interested in it. Um, I can tell you it's good, but I don't want to make a 45 minute video about how cool it is, right? People, other people are doing a much better job of that. So mm -hmm. Yeah, my stuff is a different angle. It's just look. It's looking at people. I've been told before that my content is in is in a, a niche. Sorry, uh, in the US it's niche, right? You guys say niche. Uh, niche. Oh. I say niche. All right. I'm gonna go. With, <laughs> I'm gonna go with the Queen's English then. In a in a niche of a niche of a niche, right? The content is a ham radio, so it's a very small niche, right? Then it's summits on the air, all portable operating, which again is a, is a, is a small subsection of ham radio. And then it's in the niche of insane, right? It's like, it's not just portable operating. It's like crazy vert in the back country in the middle of nowhere. Right. So it's, there's a very small, they're like the core audience for it is, is quite small, but it's sort of, it's my hope that the channel will, it's my hope that the channel will just encourage a different kind of person into the hobby. I think we do a really good job of encouraging, the, you know, you, your class, you know, your classic engineer, you know, that kind of mentality into the game. I think we do a good job of that. 
Um, but there's so much there, there's there are so many more people out there that I think would love it. You know, it's such a good thing to it's such a good thing to have if you're a hiker or a runner or uh, you know, you, you winter hiking or a climber, that anybody that's outdoors, I think, can have a lot of fun with amateur radio. And so the content is kind of aimed. It's I think everyone enjoys it. But that's where it is more specifically. It's just trying to take the ham radio torch and shine it on a segment of the population that doesn't see a lot of action from from ham radio stuff, mm-hmm. you know. So, mm-hmm. um, and I'd also it might be a bit of a fool's errand trying to aim it at slightly younger people um, because we're so we, we, you know our demographic is is plainly you know towards the the slightly older the slightly older folks and people that are young have so many other things they could be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and all their friends are doing that kind of stuff as well. But yeah, it's sort of, I, I'd love someone that was just a, a trail runner to look at it and was like, I hadn't considered this. Mm-hmm. This guy's insane. I am also insane. He <laughs> likes radios. Huh? Y- you know, or, or yeah. someone that's, that's just like into four wheeling or you know, overlanding or, or climbing or whatever it is, just trying to appeal to it to slightly different sections of, of the, of the population and trying to try to make it a little bit um, this is not i don't like this word but make it a, a tiny bit cooler mm-hmm. like I, I i'm not a cool individual by any stretch right but just a little more appealing you know so they can they can see it's a little bit more upbeat it is um it's it's faster paced there's a there's pretty quick cuts in it i try and cut the fat out of the videos to make them uh more appealing and easier to engage with show them beautiful stuff uh Set, like be a little bit um not abrasive but a little bit funny and a little bit quirky and mm-hmm. have conversations and and just try and and make it a little more appealing to the to the to the general population because mm-hmm. i feel like that's the way that I, yeah, I feel like that's a positive thing that's a positive thing that i can do for for my community and a, and a positive thing that i can do for the hobby so that's the kind of like that's this overarching the overarching youtube thing i was having a conversation with uh hayden um ham radio dx and he was saying, I was on a live stream actually, and he asked me, he asked me a similar thing. And I was just like, oh, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. I just, the videos are fun. Um, and he said, <laughs> uh, and he said that his goal with the channel was to increase the number of hams in, in Australia. And I was like, and he, and he had a, he had a number and everything. I think it was like three or 4,000 that it was going to get them up to 20,000 or 30,000 people with tickets in VK. And I was like, that is a noble goal, my man. I hadn't, I hadn't considered, <laughs> I hadn't considered larger goals that were that big. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that's fantastic. You know, and, I, and I've already had, I mean, it's a, it's a, there's, there's quite a few videos on there, um, but I've had a shocking number of messages from people on Facebook, uh, sorry, like on emails and Twitter and discord from people that in Facebook that were just like, man, I, I looked at your videos and now I have a license. Nice. You know, it's, it's incredible. It's a, and, and, and the, when I watch, when I this this doesn't happen all the time, but when I when someone sends me a message like that, a couple of times I've looked at their profile picture, and their profile picture will just be just a normal looking profile picture, and within two or three or four weeks, I chat to them again, and their profile picture is them in the wilderness. It's nice. so freaking cool. That is so awesome. you know. They're like, they've got running gear on or they're hiking or they're sitting there with a radio on the side of a beautiful hill or something. It's happened a couple of times and that's super, super special. It's been really, really cool to say. So wow. more of that. Yeah. That's a, that's amazing. 
and I think about it too. It's uh, I, I really got pulled into YouTube from those who were outdoors and doing that kind of thing. Uh, oh, man, me too. And then from there, I just started discovering, you know, like your Dave Kastler's and your HRCC's where people are talking about other concepts in ham radio. But it always, I would say it started with folks who were just out in the wilderness and, and climbing mountains. And even, even now, when people ask me, why are you so into ham radio? What do you like to do in it? Yeah, there's the aspect of operating from home and having all the comforts of home and, and being able to talk to people around the world. But I think what gets people most interested of the non-hams that I talk to is when I say, yeah, I like to sometimes climb a mountain and try to reach people all over the world. And they think about that. They're like, whoa, yeah, that would be a great place to set up a antenna and try to reach people, you know, at the top of uh, the highest peak that you can find. And so, yeah, yeah, it's, there's something very appealing there. I, I've always loved the outdoors, loved being out there and, I, I can't say that I'm a good example, but I, I can say that I lo- I've always loved it. <laughs> awesome. And well, the the real the real gem in that is that I think it's it gives you commonality, right? It gives you something in common that you can engage with another human being with because it's really quite hard to like if I if I say um, to you, hey, um, yeah, so this weekend I, I sat in my study. Um, in front of my radio and I, and I talked to people on the radio for um, 24 hours in a contest and it was so cool, right? <laughs> it, it may have been cool and probably was cool. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty cool, but I only think that's cool as a ham radio operator with a whole bunch of contrast and perspective. If you're talking to a normal person, you tell them that you sat in a room and talked on the radio, it, it just... It just it, it's it's not that appealing, right? Without any without any knowledge of the hobby, it's not that appealing. But if you can key in to the conversation, something some kind of common ground, like being outside doing a thing, it makes your um, the delivery of your sort of sales pitch about ham radio so much more appealing, and they can engage with it. Just like you said, they say, "Wow, I I understand mountains. I know that's cool. Mm-hmm. I know running is cool. I know hiking is cool. Walking is cool." And so you met, you marry them together and ham radio kind of brushes off some of the coolness factor of these more socially acceptable things. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's the way we get it in. I think that's how we sneak it in and ham radio goes, you know, great guns and we go to the moon. Yeah. Yeah. So can you, can you think of any like highlights or, or special stories in, in climbs recently or trail runs recently where you've brought your radio along? Any, any stories you want to share in some of your adventures down there? Because of the kind of stuff that I do normally, because it's really remote, there's no one else there. So you know the stories, and you're like, oh yeah, I was working, I was working radio on the summit, and a lady came up to me and was like, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm working radio, I'm talking to someone in France, and she's like, oh my god, and you're like, oh my god, it's amazing, right? And it's a really good interview <laughs> for that person. For me, there's there's freaking nobody home. I never see anyone ever. I see videos of people operating uh, mobile. Mm-hmm portable and there are people there and it just blows my mind that there could be another human being up on that summit in the middle of nowhere because we don't have the a we don't have the population density and b it's so remote there's no infrastructure Mm -hmm. if you want to get up big hills you're you're busted you're humping it in for miles and miles and miles to get to the base Mm -hmm. of the mountain and then you're working your way up there's just no access so i would love to have that i would love to be able to do stuff where it's like oh hey yeah and just share it with the pedestrians that are walking around, you know, that kind of stuff, like, like Peter, you mm-hmm. know, um, uh, VK3YE style, who he's just at the beach rocking out with his radio and people mm-hmm. see him doing stuff. Um, 
Yeah, my strongest my strongest memories are just there the it's the it's the the points of peak suffering. So when I'm freezing to death or my knee or knees or body part is giving me grief. Those are my strongest memories and the the contacts. You know, just the really memory, just like when you're working at home, you know, and you're like, oh my goodness, I work South South Africa on 80 meters, SSB, solar minimum. That, 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 it's the same. So the, the the peak moments, you remember those awesome contacts. I remember my first CW contact, uh, which was, it was ridiculous. It was everything you would imagine a first CW contact to be. I'd never made a real one. So I tried to do it on a soda summit. It was raining. It was a miserable, miserable day. I tried to get a contact on this radio four or five times in a park the week earlier, and I hadn't made a single contact. It was a Yezu 817. I thought it was broken, but I was like, hey, you know what? I'm going to try anyway. And I went up to the top of a little hill and yeah, turns out the radio was not broken. I got a massive pile up. I was like, oh my goodness, do I just leave the radio here and run away? Um, will they know if I do that? Where's the biggest rock so I can smash this radio and pretend I was never here? Um, and yeah, I just sat there. It was a ZL pileup and they just got slower and slower and slower and slower until a station came back to me that I could copy. I was just flustered. I was really flustered. Mm -hmm. um, and the station that came back to me was ZL1, Tango, Mike. And if you if you know Morse code, you know that's a simple call. If you don't, T is da and M is da da. Super simple. And he came back to me at like 10 words per minute. And I was like, wait, that was a T. And that was an M. And it was, <laughs> and I was, and I, I banged that out, got that wow. done. And then I shut down the radio because I was terrified. It's like, no, oh, we're done. Wow. We've crushed it. We've achieved that goal. <laughs> I'm so sorry, everybody. But uh, I'm sweating buckets up here. Oh, and it's also boy. raining. Um, My very first uh, soda, I. I actually, uh, without thinking, I just called out CQ Soda on CW. and Awesome. And then I realized, what in the world am I doing right now? If I get a, <laughs> if I get a pile up right now, I would not know what to do. And uh, oh, it was bad, so I, I stopped. Luckily, nobody came <laughs> back to me. Then I went over to SSB land and, and, and called out there and was able to activate that way. But yeah, kind of caught myself in a, uh, I could have been in that situation very easily. <laughs> Uh, luckily oh, yeah, no one heard me and i'm like oh, I, I don't know i don't know what it is like why are we so scared of that it's the same it's like when you're on the repeater for the first time and you're like what am i doing what if they think i'm stupid what yeah. if they think i'm an idiot i can't push the ptt on this little <laughs> bow thing they'll think i'm a moron and it's the same with everything yeah you know it's like the and then you go to ssb and you're like I'm on HF. Oh my goodness. People that are everywhere can hear me, not just in my town. Oh no. And then you go on CW. Oh no. People can hear this and it's going to be so bad. And I suck. And Chris, what's it like? We do that. Everything, every new thing, at least yeah. for me, I'm like, you're the worst at this. That's ever, that, that ever there has been. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> you're so bad at everything. Chris. Oh boy. Yeah. Well, I mean, the mic shyness for, for me when I first got my ticket in, in 99, uh, I listened to the repeaters for, I'd say, the good part of the year. I got it in January, and I, I'd say for most of the year, I just listened to the conversations. Mm -hmm. And then finally, yeah, I, felt yeah. I got the courage to say, to just break in. And mm. they, were, they were having some comments about some radio that I was interested in, and I just said, <laughs> yeah, yeah. comment, 
They're go ahead, comment. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm on. I'm on. Oh, oh, oh no. What have I done? Run. Yeah. Oh, it's weird, man. I don't know what it, I, I, I think, just thinking off the top of my head, I feel like it's, I don't know, to me, at least, the people that I was hearing, they sounded like they kind of knew what they were doing. And I knew that I didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, it yeah. wasn't like it was full of like, um, like, kids would come on and they were clearly just idiots and kind of like what i imagine cb being where it's like it's kind of more of a free-for-all like it's very structured on repeaters you know amateur radio comms is very structured people seem to know what they're talking about for the most part and so it becomes this kind of like yeah it is it is kind of intimidating because it's not just free-form conversation like we're having right now where we can have it we're just talking about stuff it's kind of like Mm -hmm. there's a process to it they seem like they know what they're doing and if i mess it up i don't want to ruin their thing you know, I don't want to spoil their fun or, or yeah, or mess it up in some way. But yeah, it seems a per- pervasive element in ham radio for sure. Yeah, and it is exhilarating once you get over that hump. Yeah, it's great. You, you feel empowered. You're like, yeah. hey, I actually I got my ticket and I can use it. It's so nice. I don't just have it, <laughs> and I'm too scared to use it. But uh, yeah, I think if you if you have those issues, geez, it's super. I mean, I'm nat- I'm an introvert anyway. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of people. People are weird, but um, yeah, I just, it's, I think everyone goes through it, you know, unless you're like, I, unless you're a super extroverted person, which I don't know if they, maybe they would dig ham radio. I don't know. But um, yeah, I think if you have those issues, it's totally normal. It's totally normal. Just close your eyes, push the PTT, say something dumb and you've done it. Yeah. You've done it. You keyed that repeater up and you did a good job. Yeah. Even checking into a net for the first time, it's, it's a. Uh... It's nerve wracking. I know that I, I had a hard time with that. I knew the structure yeah. down pat because I had listened to so many nets and still mm. just jumping in as a guest to check in for the first time. So hard. Yeah, <laughs> I, I struggled with um, just with groups, you know, operating in a group on the repeater. So it's like, you know, it'll be ZL1ABC, ZL3BBB, ZL4BBBA, and then their call, and then they'll pass it on. I was like, oh no, what what order does it go in? And oh, my call has to go last. That's right. What was that guy's call? <laughs> oh, geez. And I'm like sitting there, like I, I, writing them down. Like, who's in uh-huh. this, who's in this group? I never, I never broke in, but I was like, geez, who's in this group again? For them, they've been talking to these people for years, right? So they, they just know. Yeah. But for me, there's like, there are five calls in this group. Who how do they know who's going next? Mm-hmm. This is witchcraft. This could never work. <laughs> what are they doing? It does it makes no sense. I found that really odd. I still do. Yeah. I don't get don't get involved. You know, in uh, something I had a hard time with too is phonetics. Oh, really? Phonetics actually took me a long time when people are saying, you know, you know, I'm a you know, Alpha Charlie, whatever. And and I'd yeah, have right. to translate it back in my head to what the call sign was and I'd have to visualize what who was talking. Um, took me yeah, a little right. while to to come back from you know when people were using full phonetics for their their calls. Yeah, I don't know. gotcha. I'm yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't. That wasn't. I mean, everyone has has different challenges for sure. But yeah, I didn't. I didn't struggle that much with that. But I wasn't doing any VHF at the same time. All I was doing was HF. So that's all I was doing. You know, it's you know you would very you know, it's very rare that you just you know especially QRP. You're never going to just check out. ZL4RA, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> no, you're, it's always going to be infinitic. So yeah. again, it's that kind of sink or swim mentality because if you didn't have it, you're you're in trouble. 
because no one uses my favorite is when i would forget my own call sign phonetics in mid mid talk oh really <laughs> yeah geez i haven't had be that like one. alpha delta six delta banana man c yeah uh, <laughs> mike mike that's right <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's i've definitely missed yeah no actually no i'm sure i've missed my call mostly on vhf for whatever reason but yeah geez again we're human beings yeah you know i work operators that have been doing this since you know adam was a schoolboy, and they made mistakes all the time all the time yeah they make yeah. mistakes on voice they make mistakes on cw i make fun of them they call me an idiot it's just a circle <laughs> of life you know it's just how it goes so you say you rarely operate from home but mm-hmm. you do have a home shack so why don't you tell us what that's like yeah sure so i um I basically left home just because of noise. We've got really serious noise issues at home, which I've spent ages trying to fix. And the easiest solution was just to not be here to operate. I have an ICOM, and uh, this is gonna this is gonna blow your mind. But it's um it's an IC seventy three hundred. I'm not sure if you heard of that radio. No, uh, pretty never. No, heard. I didn't think so. It's pretty. It's it's pretty obscure. Yeah. Um, and I have, I've tried, I've built so many antennas in the last three years, but the antenna that I have up at the moment is a doublet. It is a 44 foot doublet and she's fed with homemade open wire lead line. Sorry, homemade lead line. And I've got a, um, an old school Mtron antenna tuner, just a manual tuner. Mm, okay. Gets it done. And most of the, the the only operating I do from home is chasing my friends on soda summits. Mm-hmm. And most of that is on 60 or 40. So yeah, I just tool around on 60 and it's all and it's all CW. Because the noise is like because CW filters do a good job of cutting back a, a chunk of the noise. So I'm never on ACSB. I'm always just chasing mm-hmm. yeah, with, with C dubs on my doublet, which is hung up above the kids' uh, trampoline. So what are uh what are some of the farthest contacts you've had? I it's a bit embarrassing to say, but I only have five entities. That's one of my one of my goals to get that fixed and mm-hmm. just to do a better job of that. So my furthest contact to date was on Mount Larkins, which is a real big hill. Um, and what did I get? I got Adam. Adam was my furthest contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, uh, Adam K six. Okay, he was, and that was some at the summit. Yeah, he was on Whale Peak. I was on Mount Larkins. There's videos of both of those, both sides of that. That was my furthest contact until about two minutes later, where I got another US station. I feel like it was K0RS cause something like that. I think he might have been in Washington. He or she might have been in Washington or something a little bit further away than San Francisco, anyway, mm-hmm. or San Diego. Yeah. So it's um, yeah, it's it's just New Zealand. I haven't even I haven't even picked up. A v, I haven't even picked up a Canadian station at this stage. Mm, okay. So solar minimum plus running around with five watts all the time. Yeah. Whenever but, I but get on the air, I will notice Sorry, during the Sorry, gray line, I will notice ah, yeah. that I get, uh, you know, it will always be in this concentrated, like uh, mid to Eastern area of the United States. And then all there right. will always be like one, one bounce all the way over to New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> like FT8 awesome. or something like that. CW. It'll always be like that. And I'm like, okay, just that one brief little blip in that direction works. <laughs> but I, I never get Asia. I never get like, uh, you know, the European mm-hmm. countries or anything like that. It's always mostly yeah, right. Canada, Alaska, 
and eastern mm-hmm. seaboard and then once or twice new zealand one night i had japan like crazy and uh, that was fun but uh, it hasn't happened yeah, right. for a long time yeah i'm sort of when gray line in the morning i'm normally hiking and I've, and I've normally been hiking for at least a few hours or running for at least a few hours so i'm not operating in the morning and gray line in the evening i am busting tail to get out of wherever i am because mm-hmm. i want to be there yes yeah, yeah new zealand like i'm at you know not a massive altitude like there are there are a few bigger hills but just the weather in this tiny island is really fickle and so it's yeah that's the issue with being like you, you want to be on the summit as, as little time as possible because things can just get really hectic really quickly so yeah when it's gray line time i am running home <laughs> as fast as i can trying to drop <laughs> as much food as possible and uh get back in time for for dinner or put the kids to bed or, or whatever it is but um yeah i'm sure I, i'm i'm really interested to start playing with some gray line stuff especially on 20 meters i was out i was playing around on 20 meters a while ago at like eight o'clock at night nine o'clock at night and it was it was kicking butt it's doing really well i was going to use another another way to describe that slightly less friendly language but it was doing a great job 20 meters and it was nighttime and i was yeah. like what is this yeah this isn't what i learned <laughs> This band is supposed to be dead, like everything in Solar Minimum. Yes. Dead, right? The bands are only mostly dead. Yeah, that's right. He's only mostly dead. <laughs> Have fun storming the castle. <laughs> what a flick. Oh, I love that. I, I think about New Zealand. I think about how picturesque it is. It's been, mm-hmm. it's been popularized, of course, by all the Lord of the Rings movies. But uh, I just think of that kind of scenery and what you must be experiencing when you go out on your runs and on your soda activations. I mean, is that accurate? Are we looking at stuff that's like this grandiose, uh, you know? Yeah. Well, remember that I, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I couldn't (laughs) shoot a video to save myself. I don't know how to operate a camera. Right. Uh So that's the footage that an idiot has managed to to fetch up. It's not hard. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a very, it's just super rugged. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of up and a lot of down. Yeah. It's, it's a, I mean, I can see, I can see, big soda summits on my window yeah no it's yeah. It, it is like that but where i where i am is very special i'm in a very special place because i'm not i'm in, I'm in the mountains i'm in a little town well it's, it's a really big tourist town quote-unquote big but i'm nowhere near any big cities mm-hmm. my town has a well the, the town and the surrounding area there's a population of about i feel like it's twenty-five thousand people something mm-hmm. like that okay most of which are people that aren't here for very long there's lots of tourists and, and that kind of jazz mm-hmm. but there's although mind you they wouldn't have been in that number if they were just tourists but it's very very small we're a long way from any of the big cities the big cities don't look like this where i live looks like this because i'm in i'm in a massive basin surrounded by massive mountains and big lakes and stuff but yeah i guess it's like any well like in the u.s right it's not all flat and it's not all mountains and i just happen yeah. to be in the most mountainous section of new zealand nice we're by yeah we're just the, the, we're with the, this it's not just new zealand a lot of new zealand is flat but uh yeah where i am in particular is yeah there's a, a lot of the lord of the rings was was filmed here and mm-hmm. a lot of everything was filmed here if, if you're looking for just really grand mm-hmm. really serious looking landscapes and in terms of like trip reports i mean i know that uh jeff aa6xa mm-hmm. uh he he has an extensive website that kind of catalogs so many peaks and I just wonder how you are researching the peaks that you want to go to. And if you have a lot of people doing trip reports on, 
on how to even approach some of these really jagged looking rough mm-hmm. mountains. Is he the guy that's in the microwave? Like 27 uh, seams? Uh, sorry, 23 seams? Maybe. I, I don't recall. I recall. He I think he's on Slack. I think he's in like the Whiskey Six Slack, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Anyway, that was another tangent. Yeah, really good question. So that is another issue with having nobody here. And also an issue with soda summits not being the points of interest. Because the soda summits, they're they're the highest points on mountain ranges. But a lot of the time, they're not actually the popular place. Right, and that could be because they're just inaccessible. That's generally why it is. They're just they're just not that accessible. So there are heaps of places around here where there's a mountain range, but the place that you want to go for summits on the year is nowhere near the place that people go that's accessible. Mm-hmm. So, um, and a lot of the places that I go, like anywhere, they just don't have names. You know, these are just crags in the middle of nowhere <laughs> that the only people that would go there would be stupid. So. <laughs> There, there's that plus there's the lack of people so yeah getting beta on sorry getting information yes. on he's using mountaineering is, terms now beta it's super hard yeah. it's it's really hard it's a lot of it is suck it and see it's like getting snow information like i look out the window and i have a, you know like it's it's very for more popular routes more popular aka two pre, two people did it in the last 12 months like really popular stuff <laughs> it's um it, it, you kind of have some idea but a lot of it just comes down to just just looking at topo maps figuring out who it, it, it's hard all right so looking at topo maps trying to figure out your best point of entry how you're going to get in there what the terrain looks like on google maps then figuring out if there is public access to it because a lot of the times there's not so you got to figure out who owns that parcel of land and you're like oh goody yay who's this and then you got to sweet talk the owner Got to figure something out, some you know, figure it out with your family so you can get time off to go do the thing. And yeah, it's a, it's not, it's certainly not. There's no guidebook to the majority of the things that I've done in the South Island. So but, if you're, if you're same, attempting yeah. something that's pretty, that looks challenging to you, I mean, you're mm-hmm. kind of. It sounds like you're kind of eyeballing it, and then you you plan mm-hmm. your gear accordingly. Is there mm-hmm. ever ever times where you reach something and you're like, man, I should have brought some mountaineering equipment here this is this is uh, impossible without some you know ways to, yeah. <laughs> to actually climb with ropes or, or something you know yeah for sure so it's it's a bit of a it's a yeah that's a really it's an interesting question so i am pretty risk averse just naturally i'm a risk averse person mm-hmm. i always try there's an there's like an, there's an old adage for people that like screwing around in the hills and it's the best way to not need a piece of gear is to have it yeah. right so if you've got <laughs> it you're not going to need it so mm-hmm. i tend to have I, I try and i try and pack as lightly as i can but i have some parameters from which i will not bend right so even though i do i i, I say wait where i can and a lot of things but i've always got more stuff than i need um, and that, and that just generally puts me in good stead, you know, for the sacrifice of a couple of kilos or you know, what is that three or four pounds, or just having some, some, yeah, just some gear. And it's sort of, because I'm out on my own a lot, I don't have a partner, so I can't rope up, um, which limits the, the terrain that I can cover. And also, like I said, because it would like, we're talking about some pretty extreme weather conditions and you've got to get up there and there's, I can't do any VHF because there's no one home. Right. So it all has mm-hmm. to be HF. Mm-hmm. I'm getting like, all my probably 50% of my contacts are ZL stations and the rest is DX. So 
you've got to get up there. You've got to get a mast up somehow. Master like six meters long. It's you're on like it's it's just not super pleasant. Like you're in an unpleasant <laughs> place. What you know? You know how you feel when you look up and you're like in the middle of it, then you can't see the sides. That mm-hmm. kind of vertigo feeling. Mm-hmm. You imagine having your your mast and you're like looking up at the top of your mast and you're kind of wet and it's blowing its face off and it's just yeah. It's so I can't. I will not do summits that are purely mountaineering summits. So mm-hmm. there's like, there's a filter around. I'm like, okay, I, I will totally do that, but I'm not going to do it for soda, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, cause that's, yeah. cause I, cause, cause that exceeds my, my acceptable level of risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't, I fully accept that people need to get rescued sometimes. And sometimes things are unavoidable. Like rescue teams are there for a reason, but I just always want to do my best to make sure that if I need help, I need help for a good reason, a reason that wasn't my fault, right? Uh, that, that would eat me up inside. To have to get rescued, to get heli evac'd, or even worse, have, have a crew of guys and girls have to hike in through the garbage that I just went through to come and rescue me for an issue that I could have solved myself if I was more sensible in the gear that I packed or the route that I chose or the way that I approached the situation. So yeah, there are definitely hills that I won't do either because they're going to suck to run radio to run hf on um or they're or they're just they're just too gnarly mm-hmm. or i can't do it because i need to be roped up and i don't have a partner there are bits of it where there's a bit of we call it scrambling which is where it's it's climbing and and again it's like it's the level of acceptable risk because mm-hmm. uh, if you don't if you know anything about climbing you know the name alex honald and he mm-hmm. is a freak is a he, he, he free solo so he climbs massive faces hard technical climbing no ropes at all like you you might call that scrambling as well that's the totally insane level <laughs> of acceptable like, yeah, risk that's yeah but super scrambling <laughs> yeah there's like there's a point at which you decide hey okay i am no longer happy to continue up this route without protection without without rope right and before that before you hit that level and it's personal it's personal it's different for everybody you're scrambling you're, you're climbing but you've got no rope on um and my ex- and so yeah my sort of acceptable level of risk for that is reasonably low but it's definitely higher than other people's it's well not everybody but there is certainly it's a spectrum it's the spectrum of life some people will see stuff and they'll think there is no way i'm going anywhere near that face without some kind of rope or some kind of protection and there are people that look at it and think that's totally fine i'm totally comfortable i'm gonna zip up it yeah so and that's the kind of stuff that i do because i don't have a partner you know so i'm yeah, not roped up yeah. And it's sort of, yeah, it ends up being sort of just winter climbing, sorry, winter mountaineering with like scrambly sort of climbing. And yeah, there's, there's glissading and mm-hmm. there's crampons and there's, there's occasionally there's a bit of ice ex- action going on there. But yeah, I, if it's, if it's a route that I'm not sure about, I will, I know I've got some criteria for when I'll turn around. Now the issue is because you've got to do big miles to get into these things. A lot of the time you're starting at nighttime, well, it's you know, very early in the morning, and you can't yeah, see anything, yeah. so you can't get a good read. So you, yeah, sometimes you got to be careful about like when the sun comes up. Am I going to have a vantage point that allows me to decide whether it's safe to continue? Mm-hmm. And that because you, I've gone up into into summits that 
I have no idea if the, where the snow line is because I can't see anything because I'm in really dense cloud or, or visibility is bad or all those kinds of things. But that's the kind of stuff that you just, I mean, and at the same time, I'm a baby mountaineer. There are people out there that kick butt, that climb serious, serious peaks all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's their jam. And that's not me. I'm doing like, I'm doing baby. I call it baby mountaineering. It's kind of a, you know, it's, it's a, it's a mix of all, of all my hobbies, but it's different for everybody, but it's definitely, you do not want to be going out into hostile situations without doing it gradually yeah in my opinion right so that's kind of uh, some people have talked to me about this and i totally i totally get it and i totally support it it's that i don't want people to look at my videos or um or tim's videos or adam's videos and think oh man like this is rad i'm gonna go and i'm gonna i'm gonna climb this thing in the middle of winter and it's gonna be sweet look at these guys are so great look how great it is i'm gonna this lady's awesome right i i I need to be careful that they see that I've done hundreds of summits, right? They may not have been soda summits, but I've done hundreds of peaks in all kinds of situations, all kinds of weather. I've done a ton of them, hundreds of them. Um, and that kind of, yeah, that kind of gives me the ability to, to slowly and incrementally increase the difficulty of the things that I do. I would absolutely not recommend that anybody decide, hey, you know what? Let's go run an ultra marathon and do 10,000 vertical meters um, in a storm. That sounds fun. No, that, 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 I didn't no. just, I, we didn't just do that out of nowhere. That was, there was a whole bunch of planning. There was a whole bunch of stuff that was a reasonably experienced idiot that was doing it. Um, and that's same, the same for all the things, right? So you just kind of have to temper that a little bit. It's yeah. really interesting. I think it's really cool. But yeah, you, you don't want to just jump in because the, the mountains, they do not care if you live or if you die. Mm-hmm. They don't care. They, they don't care. You, you have no right to be there. You have no right to survive. People die all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's that's a very it's a very sobering thought. But they they really don't care, right? They don't care if you slip. That they, they just don't care. So it's all on you to to be as prepared as you possibly can. And the end result of that is you have an awesome time in the hills. And you live a good, happy life, and you live a good, long life, hopefully. Yeah. Along those lines, I mean, what do you have for emergency comms? Like, if you're in trouble in the mountains, do you have a satellite communicator of any kind? Do you rely on, I don't know, VHF, cellular, what? Yeah, for sure. So that's a really good question. New Zealand, New Zealanders, Kiwis, have a reputation for being pretty careless. And, and maybe careless isn't the right word, but it's kind of the nonchalance. We've got an expression, which is she'll be right. She'll be right. right? Mm-hmm. She will be right. Um, and it's uh, and that basically means it's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, hey, that looks kind of dodgy. Yeah, she'll be right. And so that mentality, <laughs> it's just that it's the kind of relaxed mentality of New Zealanders. And it's pervasive through everything that we do. So we we're getting, we're definitely getting better at it in terms of mountain safety, but yeah there's kind of there there is that element i I try to i try to not be that guy so the i've got a whole bunch of stuff cell phone's great but it's pretty much useless for me because there's i mean there if there's no people there's no coverage so it's very very rare uh it's common on little hills that aren't but if we're talking about interesting hills reasonably big hills you it's unlikely you're going to get cell the I've got my watch. My watch has GPS tracking on it, so I've always got myself tracked on my on my watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got a I've got my HF equipment. I've got I 
sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes I have my radio, my handheld because I can sometimes hit the repeater. Um, but the primary piece of safety gear in terms of comms that I have is an inReach. Oh. And you can see it in all of my videos. It doesn't matter where I'm going. It doesn't matter how small the hill is. I've always got my personal locator beacon bouncing off my shoulder, mm -hmm. a little orange thing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't need um, cell coverage. It works off the Iridium satellite network. I can, I can spot with that. I can send text messages to loved ones. I can pre-program them. I can call for search and rescue. That's my primary bit of kit. And if that fails, well, then I have the, the dominoes are, I've got my HF kit, my VHF kit. I've got my phone. Mm -hmm. um, and, if, and, and the having the watch is actually really useful as well because my watch lets me, or just any kind of GPS tracking. So you can track yourself back in zero visibility, which I've had to do heaps of times where I just, I just can't see a thing. Literally, yeah, like yeah. literally I cannot see a thing and I'm just, I can see my feet and I'm just <laughs> running off GPS, tracking myself back. Wow. I've got myself into trouble doing that because in, in craggy mountainous environments, if you're off a tiny bit, that's actually a big deal. You know, like, like, uh, being five yards to the left means you, um, you know, you rattle around this and you and you end up in a different place. Right. Yeah. If you're yeah. in a, you know, you go to the left-hand side of this bluff or the right, um, but yeah, I've used that a lot and it's been, it's been in that, um, that ultra marathon video, it was just such a horror. the evening was horrible. It was such a bad, when the sun went down, mm -hmm. it just got really bad and I couldn't see anything at all. And it was howling wind and, and wow. just really heavy rain. And a lot of that was just me on GPS, just swearing. A lot of the footage <laughs> was just like me just yelling and getting angry and saying I'm on peak number three, but I've actually been at it for 18 hours i'm on peak nine or 10 or just i've got no idea what's going on wow. can't see anything <laughs> um yeah just getting wound up fortunately that was at the end but um yeah, yeah. mountain safety super 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 important yeah i gotta learn how to use an inreach to spot i heard there's a way to do it but i i haven't quite fully researched how to do that yeah just jump on the reflector the soda reflector and there's and do a google search for it and there's a couple of guys that run little gateways that will mm -hmm. spot for you yeah really easy to do well this has been a super fascinating talk but more than an hour has passed here so i just wanted to see if there's anything else you wanted to say or plug or give advice about before we close out um i would just say that i learned a lot of stuff on my own but i learned a lot of stuff with the help of other people. I think Elmering is super, super important. I wouldn't be doing the things that I'm doing right now without help for sure. Um, and there's a lot of guys that help me. I don't, I've got, I've got one Elmer locally, which who helped me a whole lot at the start. Um, ZO4JW, he was fantastic, but I've got heaps of other Elmers like, uh, like Jeff and Mark and Rolly uh, that, yeah, that have just helped me heaps. And the cool thing about that is they're, they're not where I am. They're all people that I've met on the internet or on the airwaves. And it's, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a hobby where that's, that's, it's really, it's, it's not that hard to do. You know, there are lots of people out there that are willing to help you to share their ham radio knowledge, make you a better operator and yeah, just and answer your questions. You don't have to suffer, you know, like 20, 30 years ago before Google, where you're like, I have this problem and oh my goodness, I can't, what am I going to do? I can't figure it out. You know, we live in this amazingly connected world where, we can just ask people. We can go and find people that have tons of experience and we can ask them. And nine times out of 10, they're going to be so happy you asked and mm -hmm. they're going to be able to express all this information that they have locked up in their brains. And yeah, you'll, you'll learn really fast. So yeah, get involved, talk to people, find people that know that have done the things that you've done before 
and yeah, I mean, it's such a good hobby. What an amazing, amazing hobby. Um, yeah, I'd encourage people to get outside, enjoy the the beauty of an S0 noise floor because it is magnificent. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, you can work so many more stations if you can hear everything. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just because someone on the internet says something doesn't work doesn't necessarily mean it won't work. So experiment, have fun, be better operators, and yeah, just be nice to each other. Yeah. That moment when you turn on your radio and you think you broke it because there's an S0 noise floor, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I've, I, I, you've broken something else, Chris. Well done, buddy. What have you broken this time? Oh, everything. Cool. Did and you it, bring an antenna? No. You know, it's normal it turns stuff. out it works anyway, and it's, it's yeah, actually yeah. a great thing. Right well, Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, fascinating. I look forward to talking with you more uh, also on live chats and seeing you on the streams. Stay safe, man. It's very inspiring what you do. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I'll say 7-3 for now. I'll catch you later. 7-3, my friend. Take care. Have a great day. You've been listening to Hamdom Thoughts by 86DM. Thanks a lot. We'll catch you again next time.